0: see what the here with verse 36, Luke chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God have this blessing. Please be seated. Does does this story make anyone uncomfortable. It it starts out that Jesus is invited to dinner by one of the town's prominent persons, a, a Pharisee named Simon. Now, what we discover is a man who had an open house, but a closed heart. Jesus might be an acquaintance, but that doesn't mean he's your savior. In that day, if you had a larger house and some social status, you often would have a courtyard. And so if you threw a party, it was not uncommon for those who were less fortunate to be allowed to come in and watch the festivities on the edge of that courtyard. It was a kind of a way for the rich to show off their grandeur and wealth. And for a sleepy rural community, this was considered entertainment, drama for the peasants. It's probably similar to what we do at the Academy Awards when they have the red carpet and the people are there just watching the, the glitz and the glamour of those who come in. But of course, as a spectator, you were supposed to be quiet and uninvolved. But to Simon's horror, an uninvited troublemaker, a woman, we know her to be a sinner. In fact, everyone knew her to be a sinner, breaks through this invisible barrier of guests and the uninvited. Jesus by now is reclining at the table in typical Near Eastern fashion. There are no chairs. Get that out of your mind. No, he is is eating with the invited guests, and we wonder how this conversation is going when suddenly this woman comes behind Jesus, and she bursts into tears. She, She comes close to him, and the tears begin to wet his feet. The tears aren't enough. Her emotions overcome her, and she begins to let her hair down. A provocative move, to say the least. The Bible says that a woman's hair is her crowning glory. But this woman uses her crown and glory as a rag, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Her pride, her reputation is, is all but gone. She's broken before him. And then the Bible says she kisses his feet and takes perfume and pours it over them. Whatever conversation was going on at this party has long since ceased. This this party has taken an abrupt turn. All eyes are on this woman and on Jesus. Jesus. You know, one of the things I've realized in ministry is that most people who are trapped in certain behaviors, appalling behaviors, they want to be free. Deep down, I think they want to be different. They'll say to themselves, I'm a better person than this. I can't live my life like this. There is a real desire to change. There's an old Turkish proverb that says, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back. And this woman, I don't know all that she had done. I I don't know how far she had gone down that road. But that night, she had determined to turn back, to go back. Now, Simon the Pharisee is beside himself. This, This is embarrassing. And before we get too upset with Simon, I want to ask you this question. Where, where would you find yourself in that moment? I, I must admit, I, I tend to be a little uncomfortable with people who are melodramatic and overly emotional. I, I'm a little more reserved kind of a person. It's taken me years to feel comfortable to lift my hands in worship you know and and they never are up here they're about right here that's about as far as i could go i don't know how you are but that's about where i am and, and 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 even though uh even though that's difficult for me i think about this woman and her worship is is unreserved she she doesn't even sing a note worship is much more than music she was pouring her heart out and the display of affection would have made Almost anyone, I think, in this room uncomfortable. Imagine it. But what's amazing is Jesus accepts it because it was real and sincere and humble. She held his feet. She cried at his feet. She wiped his feet. She kissed his feet. Now, maybe this is just an aside, but personally... I am no fan of feet. I'll never forget years ago visiting the hospital to see Joyce Dietrich. Joyce has now since gone on to be with Jesus. But in the hospital there, we were having a pretty pleasant conversation, although the topic was somewhat difficult as we were discussing an upcoming surgery and some of the difficulty that she knew she would face. And while we were talking about that surgery, a physical therapist came in, and realizing I was the pastor, she immediately excused herself and said, you know, I'll come back later. Well, after a little bit more time for conversation, I said to Joyce, let's pray. But just before I left, I asked her, and really more just as a polite courtesy, is there anything I can do for you before I leave? And you know what she said to me? Well, I could sure use a foot, rub. know what to do at that moment. I didn't take that course in seminary. I don't know how that works. So so this is my response. I said, I'll go talk to the therapist, okay? That idea just made me so very, very uncomfortable. I, I failed the servant test miserably that day. At President George Bush's funeral a few months ago, his pastor recounted visiting the president near his death. In the room was former Secretary of State James Baker, he said, and the pastor reported. He said Secretary Baker was at the foot of the president's bed, and toward the end, Jim Baker rubbed and stroked the president's feet for perhaps a half an hour. The camera at that moment in the funeral panned to show Jim Baker, who was just sobbing. The pastor went on. The president smiled at the comfort of his dear friend. And he said, Here I witnessed a world leader who was serving a servant who had been our world's leader. I thought about that. What a picture. But Simon is not touched, he's disturbed. Now, remember, he's a Pharisee. He's taken a vow to obey the letter of the law. His whole life was devoted to living out not only the Ten Commandments, but the entire law of the Old Testament. The idea that this sinner was even in his house offended him. But here's the thing Pharisees were often outwardly moral people, but many times they had a very deep problem within. Their goodness made them prideful, made them arrogant and judgmental. In fact, six times in Matthew 23, Jesus refers to Pharisees as hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He says there's something rotten inside. They might look great on the outside, but something's dead on the inside. It's fascinating to me. You notice here that Luke points out that Simon says to himself, if Jesus were really a man from God... He wouldn't let the sinner touch him. But did you notice then that Luke turns that around, and then the Bible says, and I love this, that Jesus answered him. Simon's thinking, wait a second here, did I say that out loud? But the point is, and Luke is doing this masterfully, Jesus knew what was in Simon as much as he knew what was in this woman. And so Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And so Jesus tells this simple story of forgiveness. He says, two people owe money. One about a year and a half worth of, uh, one, uh, one year and a half of wages. The other owes about a month and a half. But the truth is neither can repay. And both debts are forgiven. Which of them will love the one who forgave more? Which of them will love the one who forgave more? Now, one of the things that I've come to realize is, listen, our love for Jesus will always depend on the answer to one question. The extent of how much I love Jesus depends on the answer to this one question. How big of a debt do I owe him? How big of a debt do I owe him? Now, we read this and we think, obviously, that this woman was a great sinner. In fact, Jesus says her sins are many. But here's the thing. Then Jesus goes through a litany of slights and sins of hospitality that Simon is guilty of in that very moment. Simon, you didn't do this. Simon, you didn't do that. And oh, by the way, some of the greatest sins are the things that we don't do. But Jesus is making a point. One begins to think that maybe the greatest sinner is is not the woman in the room. Jesus knew that both of them were spiritually bankrupt. Neither of them were capable of paying their debt. The difference then was not their amount of sin. The difference was their awareness of it. You see, the scariest part of salvation is this truth. You cannot be saved until you realize you are utterly, desperately, hopelessly lost. Now that's a scary truth. You cannot be saved until you realize you are utterly, desperately, hopelessly lost. This woman could seek forgiveness because she knew she needed forgiveness. And so you have these two people, the woman and Simon. One is clearly repentant and one is clearly not. This woman feels the debt of her sin and Simon feels nothing. Her repentance pours out in tears, humility and surrender. Simon pridefully feels contempt and judgment. You know, that's the danger for Simon. He thought he was good enough. He thought he didn't need to be forgiven. And let me tell you something, there's nothing more dangerous than that. Nothing more dangerous than that. And so Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, how did he see her? He saw her as a nuisance, as a sinner. But Jesus sees something else, sees someone else. He sees a beautiful creature of God who has decided to come home. Do you see this woman, Simon? Do you see what God is doing in her life? She's an example to you, Simon. She needed to be saved, but Simon, you need to be saved too. Now here's some lessons I want to share with you really quickly as I've thought about this passage this week. And maybe, maybe you can glean some wisdom from this. One of the things I think a passage like this teaches us is that I think we ought to ask God to make us aware of our sin. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us that he does through the power of his Holy Spirit is that he actually convicts us of sin. Listen, it is a beautiful thing When God begins to work in your life in such a way that He begins to expose those things that are not pleasing to Him, He shows us our waywardness. He shows us our our attitudes that are not pleasing. Know Know that God is loving you when He is willing to shine a spotlight on your life and says, Jeff, this is wrong. That behavior, that attitude, that goes against my will for your life. This needs to change. Recognize that that is a good thing. It means God is speaking. and God wants to do something more in you. John sixteen eight reminds us, Jesus says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God reminds us through the power of his Holy Spirit that we are sinners, that Christ is righteous, and that if we don't do something about our sin, we face judgment. But God is gracious when he shows us our sin. You are gracious, O Lord, when you let me see myself as I am and where I will end up if I don't deal with that sin. But second, I think we we need to become, when we become aware of our sin, I think this woman reminds us to make sure that we go to where Jesus is. This, This woman, man... Do you think it was difficult for her to go into that Pharisee's home? It didn't matter. People would have told her, you can't go there. You don't belong there. He's Jesus. He's good. But she went there anyway. Listen, friends, when you have sinned, go to the place where you are most likely to meet Jesus. Now, There'll be all kinds of reasons not to. You may not like hearing the sermon. You may not like joining that small group. You may not like the singing. But it's kind of like taking medicine. When you come in, you're sick. And that's the point. You are sick. You are going to die if you don't get some help. Now, here's Satan's tactic. And this is what Simon believed about this woman. Satan will say, well, what's wrong with you is totally unfixable. You can't talk to anyone about this as no one is going to be able to understand. And that is the devil's favorite one-two punch, it seems to me. But both are lies. You can come to Christ. You can come to Jesus. He understands, and he alone can give you grace. Bank robber uh, Slick Willie Sutton was famous for the number of banks that he robbed during his career. He famously was once asked by a reporter, why is it that you rob banks? And you remember what he said? He said, because that's where the money is. Why do you go to Jesus? Why do you do anything to get to Jesus? Because that's where the grace is. Because that's where forgiveness is. That's where life is. Third, I would suggest this. We sometimes just need to allow ourselves moments when we are overwhelmed by the love of God. You see, this woman loved him. We see the evidence of that. But that was a result of the fact that somehow she had come to know how much God loved her. Romans 5, eight says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, if you want to know God's love for you this morning, look at Jesus dying on the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he knew what was in you. He knew what was in me. He knew your sins. But the cross tells us that he took, his, took our sins upon himself. All of them, all of the pain, all of the judgment upon himself. Do you know how much God loves you? The cross proves the depth of his love. Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul says, I wish you could grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And when you find that love, when you discover God's ultimate love for you, the only thing you can do is love him back. Have you loved him back today? as we worshipped, as we've sung. Fourth, this story reminds us that we need to genuinely repent of sin. It's interesting to me that this woman, who by implication at least is a prostitute, takes her perfume, now think about that, this costly perfume, the tool of her trade, and by pouring it out on Jesus' feet, She says, I don't need this anymore. My friends, when it comes to repentance, there are three words that I want to lay before you this morning. The first is conviction. We've talked about that. That moment when the Holy Spirit speaks, and you realize, I am convinced that I am wrong. I'm not the victim of my environment. I'm not the victim of heredity. I have made wrong choices. I have separated myself from God. That is conviction. But the second word is contrition. I'm sorry, not just because I got caught. There's a difference. But I'm sorry because I recognize sincerely that I have wounded the heart of God and I have hurt other people by my actions. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. A.W. Tozer said, God loves the bent knee, the broken heart, and the wet eye. And the third word is change. Where we turn from our rebellious way and we begin to walk in obedience. 2 Corinthians 7.10 reminds us, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Why? Because there is no change. Peter Marshall once prayed in the United States Senate, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are, but remind us that we dare not leave just as we came. But here's the danger. Satan whispers, your debt's not that big. Your debt's not that big. You don't really need to humble yourself before a savior. And he is a liar. But the Holy Spirit comes and he speaks truth to our heart. And sometimes that's an uncomfortable truth. You are unrighteous. You are guilty. You will face judgment. But that same Holy Spirit offers us grace. God loves you. And he's made a way for you. Jesus is that way. Repent of your sins and follow him. And that brings me to my last point. This woman teaches us that once our sins are forgiven, that we live like we are forgiven. That we accept God's amazing grace. I love these simple words Jesus says to her. Go in peace. Man, think about this. She comes in weeping. She's desperate. She's hurting. But there is nothing sweeter, nothing better than peace with God. Nothing like it. You're forgiven. Go in peace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. And so we have this privilege, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you get to remind him of his future, right? Right? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you washed me as white as snow. Lord, I praise you because you forget my sins and you remember them no more. You see me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you buried my sin in the depths of the deepest sea and you put up a no fishing sign because that's grace. That's grace. Now, Simon didn't understand that. Simon thought that grace had to be earned. But listen, no one ever deserves grace. That's a contradiction. It's kind of like planning your own surprise party. It's not a surprise if you're planning it. It doesn't work that way. The minute you think you deserve grace, it's no longer grace. Now you can ask for it. You can plead for it. But you can never deserve it. So, maybe this morning you come into this place and your life is a mess on the outside and you're like this woman. And you've made some bad choices and perhaps you've been down the wrong road and you need grace today. Can I give you good news? God's ready to give it. But maybe, just maybe, you're more like Simon. Your house is open to Jesus, but not your heart. You, you, you've got a lot of people fooled. A lot of people think highly of you. And up until maybe a few minutes ago, you thought they were right. But God is speaking to you, and He's revealing an attitude, an area of pride, a sin, a, a bitterness, a secret lifestyle. And on the inside, it's rotten. And you need grace too. Now, notice this Jesus gives grace to this woman, and she walks away forgiven. But he wanted to give grace to Simon. But we have no record that he ever received it. So, what about you? What about today? What about now? Jesus Christ offers you grace. Let's pray. Father, this this woman teaches us so very much. Simon teaches us a lot too. But in the very presence of Jesus, we encounter truth, and grace, Lord, I suspect that there are many of us who need your grace this morning. Maybe we've not gone down the same road as this woman, although maybe some have, and yet, Lord, what amazes us uh, amazes us is that Lord, this woman was closer to the kingdom and experienced your forgiveness and wonder, or we were reminded as we began this service of those women in prison that are being ministered to by Mary and, and Marcia. And we thank you, Lord, that sometimes it is down that road that we were able to recognize so very clearly our need for you. But many of us, Lord, live in a much more precarious position. We fool ourselves into thinking we're
1: not that
0: bad. And so we fail to realize Just how much we need you. Lord, wherever we stand, I pray that we would be willing to fall before you, knowing that you love us, knowing that our debt that we could not pay has been paid in full by what you accomplished on Calvary. And Lord, having received that grace, Lord, may we rejoice. May we give you a sweet offering of worship. May the sweet aroma of our praises be yours today. As in our hearts, we bow at your feet and we just love you back. I pray this in the strong and beautiful name of Christ, our Savior. Thank you, Lord. That we can go in peace. As Tim shares. If you just want to spend some time, maybe in your pew, maybe here at the altar, maybe you just want to take one of these chairs and just get on your knees. I, I want to give you that freedom. And again, we're not worried about what other people are thinking here. I'm grateful for this woman. She didn't care. She just knew she was with Jesus and she discovered the depth of his love for her and she just wanted to love him back. Could we just love him back this morning as we close? If you'd like to stand, you can do that. This holder is open. But don't walk out of here without his grace. Let's stand.
1: Amazing grace my heart to and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone I've been set free my Savior has answered me, and like a flood, His mercy rains unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion me as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I have been set free. My God, my Savior. Has ransom me, and like a flood, His mercy rings—an ending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone; I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has answered me. Seen rains unending love, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine, will be forever set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, my chains are gone, I have been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, unending love.
0: recognize it in our lives on a moment-by-moment basis. And may we leave this place going in peace. I pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people said, amen.